This podcast is brought to you by DailyDrip.com. DailyDrip makes keeping up to date on programming skills easier. We talk with developers at conferences all the time who say, how do you find the time to learn Elixir or Elm or anything like that? Well, the hard part is finding the right resources. What if that hard part was already done for you? When you go to dailydrip.com, you can pick a topic that you want to learn about. They've got Elm, they've got Elixir, HTML, CSS, a couple other things, so check that out. Every weekday, you'll get a short video or reading delivered to you via email. The best part is it only takes five minutes a day. Make learning part of your daily routine with dailydrip.com. Hi, Aaron. Hello. That's not a pun. I know. Hello. We gotta start with a pun. Come what on. Is this company. I don't know. I'm guessing that is Weed Maps. Weed Maps. Okay. They actually started at a uh, at a hackathon in Denver. What do they do? They are Google Maps, but for weed. Isn't that just Google Isn't Maps? Because yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's legal. Yeah. <laughs> they show you who has what strains, apparently. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't Sounds know. like a feature, not an app. Just kidding. I don't know. I'm sorry. We, I'm sorry, Weed Maps people. I'm sure your product. Oh my God! Are we going to do business talk today? I would love to do business talk. We <laughs> should we talk business. We can talk about business. Well, I have I have something I need to ask first. Sure. The conference has been beset by the Gorby Puff virus. I'm hearing. Gorby Puff virus. You're What's air dropping pictures of your cats. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we literally had do you somebody. Do not do this. We, we had. Am I some... the only one that does this? <laughs> I mean, once I heard it, I was like, that's genius. I can't believe I haven't done that before to just start randomly airdropping even just photos of myself or something to to people at conferences. See, the thing is, I actually have my cat, and I feel like I need to, in some way, make a thing out of this. You have your cat? Yeah. Here? Uh, at the hotel. Oh. But, like, I've been... D- so, I was thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking about, uh, like... I'm confused. <laughs> How are you? What are you going to do? Are you just going to drop your cat onto people? Well, so, okay. So what I was thinking of doing was uh, during my talk, having the cat. And I like, think I'm airdropping to him right now. <laughs> What's Bot Pro? Um, no, that's him, oh, yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> Aaron is currently airdropping pictures of his cat. What is your success rate with this technique? Like how, how many people accept the transfer? Uh, not, not that many. Should we explain? Are we on the air? We should probably explain this. Go ahead. Yeah, fill them in. Yeah. So, okay. so, so Tom, our producer, is in the room and has the laptop that we're recording this on, and Aaron is currently trying to airdrop pictures of his cat onto. I'm trying to success. Success. And succeeding is, at airdropping and pictures. This, is, this has happened in. I've heard several people now talk about how they've just been sitting in a conference and like got an airdrop notification. Well, it's their fault. They're looking at their phone. They shouldn't be looking at their... F- all right, so for, for all of you people, all of you green bubbles out there... <laughs> all of you people with Android phones, Apple people can airdrop stuff to each other where like they, you choose a photo and you choose share and then you say airdrop and all these people show up that also have airdrop turned on. So what I'm doing is picking photos of my cat and just randomly like giving it to whoever shows up on my phone at the conference and i enjoy this very much because i want to know i'm trying to figure out what the percentage of people like what is the percentage right now it's very low well here tonight it's it's very high (laughs) (laughs) but um at the at the conference it's like I don't know, like one in ten or something well, like that. I, like, who's the one that's accepting it? Like, what's the file name? It's just photo, image, something, something. Don't you have AirDrop on? 
No. Oh. I have <laughs> if I have airdrop on, it's contacts only. I'm not crazy. Come on. Change it to everyone. Okay. Swipe up. Swipe up. Airdrop. airdrop. Everyone. everyone. Yeah. Wow, okay. you're down to that fast. All right. What does it say? I don't actually even oh. know. <laughs> yeah, you get, pre- you get a preview. You get a preview. <laughs> you get a preview. <laughs> So basically, my cat's face is just showing it like, boom, right there. We, will, then, have a, like, we will have this photo. I took a screenshot. We'll throw it in the show notes. So the Roku booth, <laughs> we, had awesome. some, we had somebody who was like, I, I think somebody's trying to spread like a Gorby Puff virus. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's just me trying to send my photos to people. I'm kind of worried. So on the one hand, I'm like trying to spread some joy and love about cats. But on the other hand, I'm worried that somebody's going to be like, what, what are you hacking the system? Like, mm. you know what I mean? Well, on the third hand, they should just close their laptops during the talks. Well, they, and they should also not turn on airdrop for everyone. Right. <laughs> That's also generally good. <laughs> no. So, so what I was thinking about doing was sedating my cat and having her on my lap while I gave my talk and just never acknowledging that the cat is there. What could possibly go wrong? Look how to be sedated. Sedating, sedating, sedating your, cat. your cat. Yeah, what, so could, possi- that could, go wrong. what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> well, that, so that she doesn't, like, try to kill anybody in the audience. I don't know. I think that's like a... You could kill the cat. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a dose. <laughs> this is why I didn't do it, all right? I think this could be a um, code of conduct violation. Like, you do realize that they, that, they, that they do give, like, cat sedatives at pounds all the time, and it's fine. Mm, they're professionals. Yeah. Are you a professional sedator? sedator? I play one on TV. All right. Anyway, I didn't do that, but I have my cat, and I've been trying to think of something to do. And I, and yes, I, when the airdrop was mentioned, I was thinking, like, yes, I just dropped my cat. Before I got married, I would go on dates with people, and I put them to sleep. I was a professional sedator. <laughs> there we go. This is what I've been looking for. All right. Um, so you're at GitHub now, huh? Yes, I am. Yes. Yep. I work for a company called Jithub, mm-hmm. and we... That's where you upload your animated GIFs. You upload your animated GIFs. With GIF. With G- where you, Where you want history yes. on those animated GIFs. Yep, exactly. You're like, I need to know. I tweaked this pixel. Now i got to revert it. It looks terrible. <laughs> and you, you can go back. Yeah, yes, I work, for, I work for GitHub. I've been working for GitHub for a little over a month now. What do you do there? Uh, open source stuff. That's awesome. But I've only been working there for a month, so I'm not super doing it yet. I'm mostly being new. You're trying to, like, I bring value to the company, see? Nah, they know, they know I bring value. They support me with that. The main, the main issue is essentially, like, I'm trying to get a few things. First off, first week was training. I've literally been there five weeks, okay? And I've been traveling two of those five weeks, so I've only had three actual weeks of work stuff. However, the very first week I had to be in San Francisco, which brings me down to two of my five weeks. (laughs) I've actually done anything, but what I'm doing is essentially getting our app up on Edge Ruby so that I can test. Right. Test stuff. But I think I'm going to do more work on just Ruby. It turns out that encoding stuff is hard. Yes. So, well, it's, yes, it's hard. So basically we have, our application runs on a custom fork of Ruby. As one does. Yes. Shopify does as well. Uh, But our custom fork doesn't have any, it has performance stuff in it, but all that performance stuff has been pushed upstream. So it's, since that stuff is pushed upstream, ours is technically mostly backports. Right. Okay. Like all that stuff is in all that performance stuff is in two three. So if you use two three today, you have all the speed stuff that we use. But we have an extra patch that 
is a huge hack and we just have to get rid of it. So that's what I've been trying to do. And it has to do with encodings. Essentially what it was is GitHub was like, we want to upgrade from 1.8 to 1.9, but we don't want to infi- we don't want to fix our encoding issues. So let's just change Ruby. <laughs> Rather than fixing these bugs, let's just patch Ruby. So I'm trying to get that patch to go away. Um, encodings. Let's not talk about that. Yeah, I don't. I I read that Joel on Software article about encodings once a year, and then I forget everything about it. Actually, I made a tweet about I made a tweet about encodings, and it is now my most popular tweet. It has over three thousand likes. I'm like. Wow, this is amazing. In fact, I'm probably getting notifications about it right now. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Programmers don't know anything about encodings. I think that's okay, but... Yeah, why should we? No, just you, should, use UTF-8. you shouldn't. You shouldn't. It should yes, just work. Exactly. Use UTF-8. Just stop, like, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> so here's my question about encodings, because we're going to talk about it. Okay. There's a UTF-16. Mm-hmm. That sounds better than 8. Why, why aren't we using it? It's better if you're... It's kind of better if you're not it's using 16 Latin. is higher than 8. But it means that so it means that every character is 16 bits, and with UTF-8, if something is larger than a single bi- a character is larger than a single byte in size, there is a marker to indicate that oh, and and this upcoming character is going to be however however many. Uh, I, th- I think it has a marker for two bytes and then another marker for four bytes, um, and so that means that if the majority of your characters are outside of the range of UTF-8, you have all of these extra bytes in there, and so UTF-16 is better there. However, for most of uh, of America and Europe, the majority of what they're, of the data being sent actually fits in the UTF-8 range. And so with UTF-16, every character is two bytes by default. So you're wasting space. So you're wasting space. Whereas if every, But if the majority of your stuff is in that range of the spectrum, uh, then UTF-16 would be better. And It's not always clear, though, because UTF-16, since UTF-16 is always one particular width, it means that you can index into the string at constant time. In theory, UTF-32 is still a thing. No, I'm saying you can't index into a UTF-8 string constant time. Well, but in theory, you shouldn't be able to with UTF-16 either, because it's not constant width. Because it, it's not? No, because a character could still be uh, 32 bits. <laughs> I, didn't, I thought 16 was always 16. I mean, it is in practice, because we haven't actually entered the U- U- UTF-32 set of characters for things other than Klingon, but... Um, huh. Like, I thought 16 was always 16. No, but no. Okay, so what you're proving to me here is that like this UTF-8 thing is going to have a shelf life. And, oh, yeah, uh, just stick with it. Yeah, stick with don't it. worry yeah. about that other stuff. Stick with always it. Always okay. UTF-8. Because I remember the first time I ever had to do with encoding stuff, I was in college, and I can't remember what the problem was, but it was like, I need to switch the encoding of this file. And then UTF-8 worked, but in the dropdown, there was also UTF-16, and I was like, well, oh, yeah, I would 16 use... is better than 8. Exactly, so I, just, I agree I, with psh- that. Boom, 16. I think that's a good choice. Okay. I mean, when you're presented with two numbers, obviously the higher one is better. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's why, that's why I always make everything exponential time instead of linear time. That's why I always turned on the turbo button. Yeah. 66 They're, megahertz, man. I made a joke about you. the turbo button on PCs at work like a year ago, and people looked at me and they were like, What are you talking know. about? And I was like, oh, I'm not, like, you're not that much younger than me. Sean, have you ever had a PC that had a turbo button I on have, it? I have, yes. Okay. Whew. I've had, a mo- I've had a motherboard that had a turbo software function installed. When I had a computer with a turbo button, I always wondered, why would you ever shut off the turbo button? I wondered this as well. This is the conversation I had when I said this. And they were like, well, what was the point? And I had to actually look it up. And so it was because it's not so much that it was a turbo button. It was more a slowdown button. Yes. So it was like certain things that were built for DOS could only run at the, like they were built to run on 33 megahertz. And so you just had to like slow it down to 33 megahertz. Yeah, I had. I remember I had. I had games that I played in DOS, and when you like, if it was at 66 megahertz, 
the clock speed was just too fast and you couldn't play the thing. It would just be like, I think the game was called Pitfall and you just fall down this pit and you like move left and right. You know, you don't want to run into the wall, but at 66 megahertz, it was like, and you just die immediately. <laughs> so that, that was the time I would hit the, hit right. the turbo button. Right. Besides that, I didn't know what it was for. I mean, well, that's I guess it. that's, that, that's that it. was it. Yeah. Yep. So and for made... the jokes of like, I need this to go faster. Gotta press the turbo, turbo. button. <laughs> right. So if the turbo button was just slow things down, Turbo links? Yeah, let's talk about turbo links. <laughs> oh, that speeds that speeds up your links. It does. Yeah, it does it? Accurate. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, because if your internet is slow, like you don't see a loading bar. It just it just does nothing. Fast, very quickly does nothing. Doesn't Shopify use turbo links? Yeah, we built we built turbo links three. Uh aren't we on turbo links five? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you remember oh, I see. We, we huh. remember how, when we were supposed to ship that? I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with not having shipped it, but uh, yeah. I don't know. So the problem is I don't actually know anything about TurboLinks except for what people tell me. They just say, all I hear is, it's bad. And then all the other thing I hear is, it's awesome. It's and neither I, of those things. And I think to myself, <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I, I don't do front end. <laughs> like, it's, it's a useful tool that fits certain circumstances. The problem is it has major gotchas which is why I think a lot of people, myself included, are against it being a default. Because if you don't understand the gotchas, it's, it, it, it has problems. And we shouldn't have defaults that, have, that like have major gotchas compared to how JavaScript works generally. So I have to wonder, though, when, you're like, when it's your birthday and you come home and all of a sudden there's a party there for you, are you happy? Does that make you happy? I don't know. Yes. No. Uh, yes. Yeah. Sure. So if there yeah. was a party. Yeah. There's a I mean, party. It's been a long time since somebody threw me a surprise. Party. Yeah. So it's you like surprises. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but surprises can also go horribly wrong. No. Yeah. When it, when would that happen? I don't know. It's never happened to me. But <laughs> the so, point here that I'm trying to make is surprises are always parties, and so you should enjoy <laughs> you should enjoy Turbo Links. I do because enjoy you're going to get surprised. You're going to get surprised by these gotchas, and you're just going to go ah. <laughs> I mean, that's how I do development. So is, you, that, is that not the normal, the normal way? I think that's the way, yeah. yeah um, that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, so this, this conference, last time we talked, it was after the last RailsConf. Yes. And there were several surprises that were uh, heaped upon you. Yes. And this conference is lacking in surprises? So yeah. Jeremy had them, he said. He cut them for time. <laughs> Oh, he did? Yeah. He had surprises? Apparently. Apparently, Rails, there's, apparently there's new, more features that we don't know about. Rails 5.1? Rails well, 6? Well, one thing I would really like to be surprised with is how you test Action Cable. Yeah. That would be a really nice surprise. That, we actually have a pull request untested? adding Action Cable test case. But I heard that it's not merged. It's not for merged. For reasons. I, I, yes, there are reasons. I don't know what they are, but... So that would be a really nice, a really nice surprise. Honestly, like I don't think many years we get, I get surprises. I think last year was a huge, were huge surprises. Years before that has been like fairly benign. What was our last surprise? Uh, Asset pipeline Asset was pipeline. probably our last surprise. And what was that? Rails three, three, one, three one. yeah, three one. Yeah, it's so funny. Some time. It's funny how, how how things work pretty well when like we have discussions about features and then decide if they're good ideas as a team. Uh, the thing is, though, that's not how Rails works. I mean, right. it's a, it is, we are a clearly BDFL situation. Yeah, but even then, there's, al- there's always been some discussion. Like, active job, there was some discussion. There was some discussion. I think the main reason there was discussion is because I tried to do it, and then they said no. 
and then Fair and then Jeremy did some stuff, and I was like, I heard rumors that you guys are doing some some stuff. You should tell us about it, and then and then they did. I think the reason is is because I I caught them doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the reason we had discussion. If I had caught them doing Action Cable, maybe we would have had discussion about it. But they got better at hiding it. After <laughs> yes, <reaction>. exactly. That's <laughs> exactly that's exactly what happened. That's uh, fine. I don't care. I mean. It's DHH's framework, so whatever he wants to throw in it, good for him. Sure, but like, if we can't convince even just the core team that's a good idea, we're going to spend the next however many years convincing our users that's a good idea. I think there's, there's been a surprising amount of excitement about it, I thought. Yeah. At least at this conference. Like, there's people that are, I hear people talking about it, sound pretty jazzed about it, so. Cool. Okay. Well, people seem excited. I mean, they, they seem to be using it okay at Basecamp. I don't have, I mean, the only thing that, to be honest, the main thing that worries me about it, the two main things that worry me about it are one, well, actually three things. One, the concurrency story. Yes. Two, the testing story. And three, the deployment story. I guess that's all of the things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what else is there. <laughs> the dependency stuff got a little better. So that like, got better, yeah. yeah. Matthew, Matthew and who else? There was somebody Mike, else who was worked. It, was it Mike? And Mike Perham. Yeah. Um, yeah, both worked very hard on... Dropping dependencies. On dropping right. dependencies and adapterizing it. And I'm sure there is somebody else who worked on it as well that I'm forgetting, and I apologize if that's the case. But um, so that got better. So what are the concerns around... So let's take those. So you said testing it, we already... We, testing it meaning the feature itself or meaning how are users going to test? How are users going to test it? We don't have a... We don't have like an... This, this really like bothers me to the core because you can tell, okay, we don't have, so you know we have controller tests mm -hmm. and there's a test class for that and we have integration tests and there's a test class for that and all, you know, all, the, mm -hmm. all the different things. We don't have that for Action Cable. There's no cable directory for your tests. Now okay. it's like open your browser and just like make sure it works. <laughs> okay. We're going, it's like basically the bad old days. Yeah. Remember that when you had to open a browser? Nobody likes that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody likes opening the browser. So actually, let's because we should talk about the concurrency a little bit. That was the other thing. The concurrency was another one of the issues. right. So the main the main crux of the problem is that we're now we're now concurrent in development mode by default. That's good. Yes, except code reloading was never meant to uh, work in a concurrent environment and still doesn't and can't. Why? So basically, the crux of the problem, right, is that uh, code reloading and auto loading, because they're they're tangential but related. And for auto-loading, we hook into it on const missing. Mm -hmm. And so thread A hits const missing, we start defining the constant, and we get halfway through the class definition, and then thread B accesses that constant. And it mm -hmm. doesn't hit const missing, and there's no lock. Well, we have an explicit lock, but not all threads are going to use that explicit lock. And we've also encountered uh, cases with deadlocks. For example, if your test thread uh, holds the lock for the for the uh, execution of the test, and then Capybara is running its server in another thread. Those mm -hmm. are like always going to deadlock, mm. um, which is why we don't run integration tests on, uh, behind the lock right now. Mm. Like what we really need is effectively a way for a uh, thread. Like we want, what we kind of want is to have a single. Th or not necessarily what we want, but one potential solution would be to have a single thread that is the explicit auto loading thread, and have the constant not release to other threads until it's finished which of course couldn't work. But one thing that just seems like deceptively simple and I, I, and maybe there's something that I haven't thought of, but could we just have require exclusively lock the VM until... No. If it, why? No. Why? Because it doesn't do that today. And there... <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sending you dupes. I'll send you some new ones. Oh, thank you. 
I killed like uh, oh, that, one's that one's definitely good. Yeah. You know what? Let's just send them all. Um, <laughs> this is your way of saying that you don't want to talk about uh, auto loading at thread safety. No, no, I think it's fine. Actually, one thing I've had, one thing I thought of before uh, that I think would be interesting and would be fun to revisit. I don't remember why it wouldn't work. Is get rid of all of the const missing. Well, get rid of all of that code. Just delete. Just delete all of that code, and then force people to restart their servers every time they change anything. <laughs> I'm only half joking. So basically what you could say is, well, run every request in a forked process. Yeah. My, I mean, people that, do that. Yeah. No, well, no, 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 no. I mean, each request forks a new process. And then we go through the normal auto load. Oh, yeah. Auto load, blah, blah. So doing, the, doing one request would obviously get slower because you're going you're gonna to be loading that same code over and over again. But maybe we could do even uh, like different tricks too, like looking at the looking at m times of files, things like that. I mean, if we know, for example, if you only changed a view, we don't need to do all of the stuff. This doesn't solve the core of the problem though, which is that if we want Action Cable to run on the same port, uh, then it needs to be in the same process. That's where a lot of this comes think, from. I don't think anybody runs it on the same port. I don't think that's how Basecamp does development. That is the, servers, a big right? no. That's a big part of why we have this problem is because it runs in the same it runs in the same process right oh, now. Oh, I same would just port. run two. Yeah, I I would like that as well, but David doesn't want that. Huh. Okay. He thinks that having to run a separate command to run the cable server is. Too well, much. then I think we should just have Basecamp pay for it. <laughs> no kidding. No, we just build. Look, we just build the action cable and then have Basecamp pay for it. I'm saying we just need to make Rails great again. <laughs> we build an action cable and we have Basecamp pay for it. I'm not going to pay for his <laughs> action cable. <laughs> they're going to pay for it and they're going to like it. <laughs> It'll be a great cable. It'll be a beautiful cable. <laughs> we'll run a cable all the way across the border. All right. All right. So we'll keep all of those Node.js out. Um. So concurrency. Yeah, so so it Let's turns out. Let's talk about the next thing. Deployment. Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. That's What's not problem my problem. With, what is the problem with deployment? What, how does Action Cable impact the pro deployment? Don't you just run it in a in a Docker container? What? It doesn't just it runs. <laughs> I'm no. just making I'm just making shit up, man. I don't know. So let's talk about what you're doing on MRI because you seem to be doing some interesting stuff. Uh, no, I'm not. Okay. okay, I'm just kidding. Let's play, we're, playing, we're playing yes. We're playing yes and yes. I am, and it is fun. Uh, I'm working on a few things. Uh, one thing is improving boot time by doing loading uh, AOT code or ahead of time compiled code. So you compile the code first, and then you're able to load it up. Right. Another thing I was messing with is um, polymorphic inline caching. I've been working on a bunch of different a bunch of different things, but the thing is, like recently, they all seem basically like failures. So, polymorphic inline caching that only helps you if you have a lot of polymorphic call sites, and it turns out in real applications that's very very low. Basically, everybody uses monomorphic has monomorphic call sites. Monomorphic mm -hmm. being when I to explain to our listeners what this means is at a particular call site, the number of types that that call site sees, how many types are at that at that thing. So if you do foo.bar, what are the types that foo is, right? Okay. So if that foo variable is one type, we call it monomorphic. If it's multiple types, we call it polymorphic. So 
what I did is right now today MRI has a monomorphic cache where only cache is one value at that call site. Uh, what I did was I added a polymorphic polymorphic inline cache, but the problem is that only speeds up poly those code sites that have multiple types. And it turns out that's just nobody does that. Or they do. It's just such a small percentage of our code that it doesn't matter. There's a hot path in Rails that would be that would be polymorphic. A lot of the attribute set stuff. I have seen all of the hot paths in Rails and they are a very tiny percentage of the overall app. Okay. So it's like yeah, I mean, three percent isn't going to be the bottleneck there, but it's like three percent. The other thing I was working on this AOT stuff. I mean, we're seeing. So this is this is sad. Koichi gave a talk about AOT compiled code or AOT code, and I'm basically going to talk about the same thing. And he said, "Oh, I didn't see a really large speed increase," and I actually got exactly the same numbers that he did. We went down slightly different paths, and we both got the same numbers, which is good we were able to corroborate each other's numbers and he's like they're not the numbers aren't very good they're we only inc- we only sped up boot time by 30% and i'm like <laughs> it's 30% and he's like i talked to him today and he's like so i was really excited 30% yeah. like, it's 30% holy shit and he said well yeah but if your startup time is 2.5 seconds and it only reduces it by half a second i mean that's pretty good. Yeah, that's I measure, think that, that's, yes, that's I think that's good. I think that's good. He's, but I guess basically what his point was, I want that to be half a second. He's sure. like, two seconds isn't good enough for me. It's got to be half a second. And I'm sure. like, and I'm like, that's cool, nice. But I'll, I'll take, take I'll take yeah. my half second. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I feel like the way you get to uh, cutting off eighty uh, percent is by starting with thirty yeah, so percent, like, we'll, and then we'll getting figure to this, fifty. We'll get this. We'll get this down. It'll be okay. We can do. Yeah. We can do this. So he was. He said it wasn't a particularly large amount, but I personally think that that's like that's a good number. I I would be proud of that. So with the AOT stuff, um, are you basically just able to uh, cache gems? Because presumably, right, if I change a file, you don't want to br- bust every single other uh, file that's been cached? Uh, so the stuff that I wrote is very, very simple. All it does is, this is funny, I wrote a lazy AOT compiler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that was essentially just for testing. I mean, what you could do is, I was compiling everything that ever got loaded. If it was loaded, I would I would compile it. Right. So the first time you run through, it was slow, and the second time, it was fast. But the idea is that you could compile stuff when you install gems, just have it do it. Right. But we could also compile app code, app code as well, and just do simple like m time checks against it. And you get this. Uh, I mean, you the, need the dependency graph. Well, everything is exactly the same. All the requires happen exactly the same. You just register a hook that says, "Hey, I need to load this .rb file." And rather than loading the .rb file, you load the precompiled code. That's it. That one, and then check the M time to see if it. Yes. So in that block, you could say, "Hey, let's check the M time before we load the precompiled code. Let's check the M time right. of the original source. If it's off, then we'll compile it again and redo our thing." I like this. We should do it. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely should do it. And I think it's worthwhile. The trick is, I want to test it out on. A, so I saw thirty percent speed improvements on a vanilla, like a plain old, just Hello World app. I want to try it on our app at work, yep. but we're not on edge. This is getting back to my I hate encoding stuff. Is we're not <laughs> we're not on edge Ruby yet, so I can't like I can't really test it very well. So, what else have I been doing? Oh, other other inline cache improvements like 
improving the speed of singleton classes or singleton like basically eliminating eliminating cache misses when you access a singleton class. So if you access a singleton class, that will miss uh, inline caches. And I was able to get rid of that, get rid of that, but only in certain circumstances. Those certain circumstances being you access the singleton class, but you don't add methods, which unfortunately is very common. So if you said like def lowercase foo.bar, you're adding a method to that singleton class where for some reason, RSpec, like RSpec accesses the singleton class all the time mm-hmm. and never adds anything to it. Adds no methods. It's like, I'm just going to store some shit on the singleton class. And I was like, you know what? Why don't we just not do that? Let's not do that. Why don't we just add a thing? Like, add your own method. You don't need to store that shit on the singleton class. You can just store, like, store it in a different place. And what it turned out is that, so I tried to change that. You can go, if you go look on RSpec, look for my issue. I tried to fix it, and it turns out that it's actually easier to optimize MRI than it is to refactor RSpec. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel really bad because the RSpec core team guys are like, oh, I'm re- I really appreciate that you're making this stuff faster. And I'm like, actually, the RSpec internals are terrible. I'm yes. really sorry. I, can't, I, I literally cannot refactor your code. It's easier for me to optimize Ruby. <laughs> So I feel like I have this internal conflict. Like, like I'm happy that, like, I really want to make their code faster. I'm really super happy about that. But on the other hand, why are the internals so bad? <laughs> like, <laughs> we need to get Sam on to to, to rebut. <laughs> I don't know that he would rebut that. Pretty much every one of the core team core team folks that I've ta- spoken with, they're like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. The internals are not super great, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Sam Sam Gibbs <laughs> talks about this. Yeah. I wish they would, it would be really nice to make it, I don't know. I would like to clean that up, but on the other hand, we don't use RSpec at GitHub. <laughs> I am a mini-test person, I will admit it. <laughs> Wait, so GitHub, I thought GitHub was RSpec. Nope. Oh. We use mini-test spec or some other, like, some other thing. I don't know what it is, but the underlying, the underlying thing is mini-test, which was really nice for me because it was a breeze to get in, like, in my previous job, we use RSpec, and I'm fine. I'm fine with doing that. It's just that all of my all of my side projects are mini tests. So, like my dev environment is totally optimized for that sure. that particular setup. So, it's not that I dislike RSpec or anything. It's just like I'm. I, it feels like I'm. I don't know. I'm driving an unfamiliar car. Right. You know what I mean? You're like driving on the wrong side of the yeah, road. Yeah. Where's my stick shift? I, I can't turn the knob. Like that's how I feel with mini tests. It's like I, this is totally fine, except none of my tooling yes, is built. Like I hit leader S and it doesn't run the test I think it should run. And so I'm like exactly. mini test. Like exactly. and it's not mini test's exactly. fault. It's no. just like I'm used to yep. this and that's yep. what I want. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> You're like it's is this fine? I can work with this, but just none of all of my normal stuff is just not working, and you feel uncomfortable. Right. It's yeah. weird. It's weird because you think when you think about that, like problem with RSpec or a problem with mini tests. It's like something about our setup. There's some weird thing there that we need to fix. And I, mean, I don't we know prob- what it we is. We probably need to have some sort of uh, common underlying API that that various test libraries can conform to, and and then have the actual runners share a ton of code. Or one like one way to run tests, just do things that are common between the two, like. You can't run you can't run an RSpec test the same way you run a mini test test. Right, you run it by line thing. number in RSpec and you run it by test name in mini test. Yes. Or in I don't know if you in RSpec I always use the RSpec command. Can you run RSpec tests with just Ruby? Yes, you can. Okay. I always use the RSpec command. <laughs> but but the RSpec command gives you a bunch of nice stuff that probably running with Ruby doesn't do. 
it, you have, you have yeah. to you'd have to find a different way to pass in any arguments you want to like if you want to see the full backtrace or like whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it just gives you a bunch of command line mm. options that are possible to do through just Ruby, but mm. you know, environment variables mostly. I think. Yeah. Also, I think the output is so output is different, which means it's more difficult for like IDEs and stuff right. to to get that info. Well, like, but, but but so what a lot of other languages do is basically test runners output like have an option to output just JSON because mm -hmm. really IDEs don't want to be parsing the stuff no, that's going don't. to the command line. Right. Well, I mean, our spec has that. You can have whatever formatter you want. I'm sure there's a J unit formatter that you could then use with whatever the hell. Yeah, but I just Jenkins? mean it needs to be standard. Jenkins, right. right? Right. Doesn't yeah. Jenkins Jenkins has a thing? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean there is there is uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. There's a specific format that is standardized that IDEs read from that is like it's not JSON, but it's it's it actually almost looks like any, but it, it it's it's pretty normal. And I know our spec does have a formatter for it. I just I'll bet it's, it's SGML. <laughs> I don't even know why that one's funny. <laughs> what, 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 some, something something markup language. What's the SG? No, you don't know SGML? This mm. is the precursor to XML. This was XML before XML was around. It okay. was like XML, but no end tags. Oh, uh, okay. Mm. So it was like XML, but on hard mode. <laughs> hard, hard, harder mode. <laughs> the tooling thing I've actually finally got around to. So there's a, I use Vim editor, and there's a Vim test plugin, which kind of tries to solve this, because I, I was using a test plugin that was like very much tied to RSpec. And now there's Vim test, and it's like, I support all these languages and all these runners, and I will figure out what runner you want to use, and I will figure out how you want to display. Like, it knows, like, I'm using Dispatch and Vim, so I want to use, in Tmux, so I want to open up a split and have mm. it do, like, it does the right thing, and it's pretty impressive. So What's now I called? can hit... What's it called? Vim? Vim-test. Vim-test, okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I hit leader or whatever, and it works. It doesn't work, like, I'm doing a lot of Ember work right now, and it doesn't support whatever QUnit, whatever that is, Ember's test runner, I don't know. And that's kind of miserable, um, but... I have a horrible bash file that uh, I, I have all the same bindings but they all just go to this this bash file that attempts to figure out what language I'm running and if it's in Ruby which specific test suite that I work on I'm running mm -hmm. and uh, invoke the appropriate shell commands and like skip bundle exec if it's an RSpec suite because I always use the latest version of RSpec and so bundle exec is uh, slows things down and like all kinds of weird shit like that and it's horrible and it's hacky as crap but yeah. I just use, I use, so Ruby Vim, Ruby.Vim has a runner built in, uh, and it knows, it understands how to parse backtraces and stuff, but basically if you're not set up, if you don't have your Ruby project set up exactly the way that, that Ruby.Vim knows how to do things, then you're SOL. Right. So yeah. basically what I do is I go in and I'm like, okay, project, time for you to change. <laughs> Right. I do the same thing with like RailsVim. If I hit like RailsVim has conventions about where files should be, and if I hit like the alternate file and it doesn't open the right file, I'm like, guess what? That file's gonna move because <laughs> this is what my tool wants, and yep. that's the way it's gonna be. <clears throat> it's a reasonable default, and we're gonna go with it. Yep. Rails.vim. I like that one. Another tpope. Mm -hmm. Tpope jam. That's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Lo love the vim, <laughs> and and tpope is amazing. That guy. I don't know how he does. I don't know how he writes that vim script. How does he, he can't use all of the stuff he writes. Like, that'd be impossible. I'm pretty sure he's a robot. 
Why can't he use? I, he must like, use it all. His well, startup time must be ridiculous. Like to load all those plugins. He no, I mean, I have nah. all of his plugins. Yeah, in my I MRC do. He has, I, I, do. I, I doubt you have all of his plugins. He has so many plugins. <laughs> I mean, my, I, I probably have a couple hundred plugins. Like it does not. Oh, really? Affect startup time that mm. much. The main one I use. So I use Rails Vim, Rails Vim, Ruby Vim. He actually wrote the Ruby Vim, and then the other one I can't live without is Fugitive. That yes. one I have yep. to have. Like, oh. I use that mostly just for diffs, blame. That's basically it. I still commit at the command line. I don't in status at the command line. I don't. Oh, use I the, do. I do everything there. I do diff, blame, commits. Also, walking backwards through history. Yep. Like yep. that's oh man. Yeah. So nice. Yep. I, so I remember nice. when I realized that that the tilde button reblames on the grandfather. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, yes. Fugitive for all of the things. Yes. Fugitive is a good tool. Use it, dear listeners. Use it. Hey, and use it to write long, yeah. long descriptive commit messages. Yeah, that's how people will ask me. They're like, do you actually read through commits? I was like, yes, because they're right in my editor. Like, I'm like, who wrote this line? And I run my little leader for git blame, and then I pop over, and I hit enter, and I'm like, boom, there's the commit message. Yep. Mm-hmm. And there's everything else that changed along with it because it's got the whole history right there. So that's where I see the history, and they're like, oh, oh I yeah, think, I can see how that would be useful. So Fugitive encourages me to write good commit messages, and the reason that the way that it does that is it has... I like the highlighting when you write the commit message. Is that what's like, giving me that? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, your first line is like nice and purple. In mine, it's purple. It's like, yeah. oh, and I'm like, oh, I feel good about this. And, and if you go the, over f- the number of characters, it's it stops like, mm, highlighting. Yes, like, oh. and then and then if <laughs> well, you write on the second, eventually. and then if you write on the second line, it's like red, red. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'll hit enter, and then it's like, okay, that's fine. Normal text, normal text. I'm <laughs> it's very judgmental. <laughs> I like, I like I like it. It's yeah, telling me what to it do. Is. I, I think Git log and everything looks the same. You're like, this is great. I can yeah. read through this. My, I like it when I have things that tell me what to do. I don't want to think. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a Do you have a record for? So, so um, I like to measure, not not that there's a specific ratio that I think is best, but I like to measure the uh, ratio of length of commit message to lines of code changed. And my record on ratio is a long nine paragraph commit message about a one line change. I've never done that. I've never done that, but I've definitely spent far, 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 far more time on commit messages than I have like the corresponding code where you're like, yeah, I've been writing this commit message now for 45 minutes and the code just <laughs> took me 10 minutes, but I really want to like explain what the hell I was what doing, doing why, yeah. Why, yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah, well, because a lot of times like like the, the one that I, I was just mentioning was a revert and like so why it was being reverted was very, very important. I wonder... Rather than that, what percentage of commit messages do you read that are like, you're like, I need to blame this line. I don't know what happened. Like, when do you hit those multi-paragraph commit messages? And you're like, oh, that's super helpful. That is why it changed versus fixing. Oh, it's almost always the latter. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah there's, <laughs> one, there's one person whose commits I see who tend to trend more towards the latter. Me. Yes. <laughs> so fixing. I, I have a, uh, a, a, a talk that I've been giving about um, ownership semantics in Ruby. And it's about a bug that occurred in our spec because of a change that happened inside of a, of a request object. And basically the whole, the talk is about uh, how if that change was made, like with thinking about ownership semantics are sort of in the back of, um, basically looks at what the thought process appeared to be and what it might have been if, if ownership semantics were in the back of the mind. And uh, you, you were the author of the commit that introduced the bug. Oh, thanks. So I have a picture of you with a troll face because this is how I imagine uh, whenever I whenever I blame something and it turns out that you introduced the bug on accident, I always just imagine no, it was actually on purpose, and you and you were making a literal troll face the entire time, and so I refer to you as tender troll. 
because I didn't uh, want to call out any actual person. Uh, it's me. It's always me. No, and it's not. It was. It was fine. But I just thought. Basically, your your Twitter avatar with a troll face on top of it was a joy to put on a slide. <laughs> is the main point there. Uh, so how many how many podcasts are you recording here at RailsConf? This is it. This is the last you are, one. You are the well, well. How many total? Power, like five. Uh, five. Yeah. Much wow. less than last year. How many last did year you do did last year? Eight. Seven, eight? More than that. I think it was over ten. No, 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 no. No? Okay. Eight, something like that. Yeah, we did seven in one day, and then I think we did one the next day. How many of your listeners actually listen on an iPod? On an iPod? Yeah. We don't have stats on that. Oh, on an, we might have stats for an iPod Touch. Right, that we, is an iPod. Well, iPod Touch, that counts too, as long as it has pod in the name. Because I wonder why do people, why is it still called podcast? I don't think the Just name this. is appropriate anymore. What do you want to call it? Like, phonecast? pre-recorded voices in a digital format. It's not as catchy. I don't think. <laughs> what was I saying? I don't remember. Podcast. Oh, there was uh, this guy, Leo Laporte, who was on uh, Tech TV, which was a network back in the day. I don't know if it still is. But he started a podcasting network, and he refused to call them podcasts because he thought Apple was going to trademark the term. Oh, yeah. So See, he, I would think that too. So That's he called them netcasts, which is not terrible, but did not take off. I like netcast, download cast, <laughs> audio cast, radio, something like that. Net radio, did, isn't that a thing? Net like radio. net radio, that was already a thing. Yeah. That's probably why it didn't. Yeah, net radio. Mm, honestly, I I don't really listen to any tech podcasts. All my podcasts are financial news related, so I'm like really up on my current events that relate to finance. <laughs> Is that why you wanted to critique businesses? Yeah, well, yeah, and also I just the other thing is I like marketing. Like I think I could be a really good marketing person or I should have been a marketing person. Like let me run this idea by you. All right. Okay. So we want to be able to help support Ruby Gems and rubygems.org and all that stuff and Bundler. Like we want to support all those things, right? We want to we want to support those things and give those give those developers money. So what I was thinking is when you do a gem install or a bundle update or a bundle install, we could place tiny text ads in your terminal. Seems fine. Mm -hmm. Doesn't this sound like, so every time you do a gem install, it's like, oh, a tiny text ad. And then even what we could do is you can make the bundle resolve process take even longer, and we, we just keep changing out the text ads that are showing there. It's like, oh, okay. Well, you're, you're missing the other part, too, is you could get analytics on the types of gems. That exactly, yes, 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 yes. We could also have an upgrade to premium, so it'd be like, you know, the Hulu, Hulu no ad, like ad-free, yeah. ad-free bundler experience. You could do that. What about, like, pay us to get rid of post-commit message, post post Post-install uh, messages? messages? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Opt out of those. <laughs> and you're like, I'm gonna party. let me tell you how hard I party. I party. I party five dollars a month. Party. <laughs> That's how hard I party. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's. A, I think it's a really good, really good idea. It's so good. Mm -hmm. And then you know we'll have people. There'll be like a cottage industry of Ruby Gems ad blocking. Yes, exactly. I thought about that too. We can have ad blockers for Ruby Gems. We can just sell the ad blocker as yeah. well. We'll just play both sides. I told you I'm like super good. I'm super good at this like product marketing stuff. I'm like really good at it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> All right, you guys want to? We should up? wrap up. Thanks, Thanks for coming on, Aaron. Uh, thank you for having me on. Let's wrap it up. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm/slash seventy-two. As always, ratings, reviews on iTunes and Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any others, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed, email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm or leave feedback on the website. 
All right, that's it. We're done. <laughs> <laughs>